Sarah here. A quick heads up. This episode talks with sexual assault. If you want to skip this one, feel free to browse through our other episodes. Sometimes saving money really isn't worth it. In Amanda's case, her decision to get on a Greyhound bus to save money when traveling to speak at an event in Seattle cost her more than she bargained for. It all happened so quickly, a man from Amanda masturbated while looking at her. I mean, she saw everything, prompting her to jump up and report it to the bus driver. Of course, the bus stopped and the man got kicked off. But Amanda didn't feel relieved. Here's why. I immediately had this response where I was like, oh, I'm in charge of getting all of these people to where they want to go on time. So that was the first piece of it. And then the second piece of it was all I could think about, despite the fact that like I had this extremely gross image plastered to the side of my school, was that, am I going to be late to my work? Am I going to be late to my job? Sadly, her story isn't uncommon. Sexual assault in all forms happens every day. It can affect our financial lives, like Amanda, where she just didn't feel like she gave it her all when giving that presentation to hundreds of attendees when she finally arrived in Seattle. Sure, we can be so damn good with our budgeting and our frugal ways, but what happens when the opportunity cost comes at the expense of our mental health and future ability to earn money? Welcome to Beyond the Dollar with me, Sarah Lee Kane, where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects your well-being. We go there. The guilt, stress, exhilaration, and fear, no topic is taboo. My guest today is Amanda Holden, founder and investing teacher at Invested Development. We chat about what happened to her on that bus, why she regrets not reporting the incident to the police, the real opportunity costs as it pertains to sexual trauma, and some of the hard questions we need to think about when it does happen to us. Stick around to the end where I'm going to debrief our conversation and what we can all do to support each other during such trying times. To find resources shared in this episode, head over to beyondthedollar.co or click on the link in your podcast app. Now get ready, grab a seat, and let's go Beyond the Dollar. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on Beyond the Dollar. Thank you for having me, Sarah. All right. Just a warning to listeners. I know I said this in the introduction. There's there's trigger warning, lots of swearing and other sensitive topics. So if this is something that you're not ready to hear, there are plenty of other episodes that you can in the Beyond the Dollar library. So Amanda, let's talk about the blog article you wrote on on your on your blog. I'm just going to quote something and we can dig a little bit into it. So Common reactions like mine, the not wanting to muck up everyone else's life, the not wanting to report because it would impede my own ability to make a living is all very convenient for abusers. So tell me more about that. Sure. Would it be helpful to tell a little bit about the story about what I was writing about? Yes, actually, that would be great. The context of it, yes. Okay. Yeah. So so I decided to write a story on my blog, which veered a little bit away from what I typically write about. I typically write about investing in money. But this was a topic regarding women and money that I just felt like I really could not overlook. And it's so, so important. And so I wrote a, I wrote a blog post about how I was getting on a Greyhound bus. I was going from Portland to Seattle on a Greyhound bus. I was headed to work. So I give these big, super fun investing seminars and I had one in Seattle and I'm a super low maintenance travel. So I decided, you know what? Let's just hop on the old grease puppy and get there in a couple hours. No big deal. While I was on the bus, long story short, the guy across from me was masturbating while staring at me and it was extremely graphic. Like I saw him ejaculate. 
And it was really scary. I mean, it was really, it really frightened me. It really terrified me. I ended up jumping out of my seat almost immediately. My fight or flight mechanism was absolutely activated, running to the front of the bus, getting the whole bus to pull over. It was a contentious few minutes, but ultimately got the bus driver to kick him off the bus. But we were like on the side of a highway. Yeah. And so that's, that's what happened. And then what happens next is I didn't really insist on having the cops called. Like it was kind like he kind of, the bus driver kind of brought it up, kind of not really. And I didn't insist upon it for really two reasons. The first of those is everybody on the bus had no idea what was going on. I, I basically had to announce to the bus what had happened. And this, I mean, it was the most, well, not the most awkward part, but it was an incredibly awkward part of the, the probably what was five minutes of activity on the bus, but um, I had to basically announce and I was like, I mean, he like masturbated at me. He masturbated to me. He masturbated with regards to me. Like, I don't know how exactly to even describe this, but that's what happened. But, you know, I was now in charge of a bus full of irritated people that wanted to get where they wanted to go. And so that was, that was the first reason. And that has a little bit to do with the, the quote that, that, you read at the beginning, like not wanting to muck up everybody else's life. Like I immediately had this response where I was like, oh, I'm in charge of getting all of these people to where they want to go on time. So that was the first piece of it. And then the second piece of it was all I could think about, despite the fact that like I had this extremely gross image plastered to the side of my school, was that, am I going to be late to my my work? Am I going to be late to my job? Like I had 200 women signed up for my event. Like, am I going to be late to being able to perform for them and and educate them. And so I just said, you know what, let's just bury it and let's not call the cops and let's just keep moving. And of course, later I was like, I should have called the cops. I obviously should have called the cops. But again, it's it, it, it all comes back to, I didn't want to muck up everybody else's life. And then also it could have impeded my own ability to do my job, right? This is my job is getting up and educating people and I didn't want to be late for it. So that's the story. Wow, first of all, <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow. Well, that's like a um, really all, long yeah. summary. Thank you for everybody who held on through that long summary. No, I mean, it It was, it's just one of like, what's going through mine. And I mean, I know the story, obviously, before I invited you on, but listening it to it again, it's like, man, there's like this burden of like, okay, I have to basically deal with the emotions and the shock, plus however many people were on the bus, plus like, oh my gosh, I still have to think about these hundreds of women that are coming to this talk, like it must, it must have been such a a burden. <laughs> I mean, and unfortunately, stories like this aren't aren't uncommon. Like, I mean, I guess my next question is really what, like, what did you do after? Like, did you feel like bad that you didn't call the cops? Like, what were I guess the emotions after after that? Like after the talk or after you realized that you you should have called the cops? Oh gosh. Okay. So immediately after it happened. I was not really that I was not angry at myself about not calling the cops. Like when I was sitting on the bus, I was just like in tears because it was just it was so vulgar, it was so graphic that I just could not get the image out of my head. And so all of my energy was directed at trying to to, to get the image out of my head, essentially. Like it it's it took all of my energy. And so I just tried to Basically, like stay calm enough so that I could get up and do this, did perform in front of this, this very large group. It was my largest group actually at an event yet. And so I was really excited for it and just tried to, you know, meditate it away, which like when you see something that vulgar, it's very hard to meditate away, especially in the hours immediately after. And so I wasn't too concerned about the police then. It was more so when I was talking about it with my girlfriends after the fact that I was like, God damn it. Like, 
this guy's back out there, back at it, and there are no repercussions for him. And I didn't call the cops about it. And we have no idea who this person is. And Bolt Bus was being completely unhelpful. I was on Bolt Bus, which is a subsidiary of Greyhound. And so it was more so, I think the my concern about calling the cops more so came about in discussing it with my girlfriends. And you know what? Maybe it also started to to be something that I was thinking about quite a bit more because I also shared it on Instagram. I shared the story on Instagram. And this is actually the reason that I decided to write about it was I I received an overwhelming response from women who were like, oh, this happened to me too. I'm so sorry. This happened to me while I was running. I'm so sorry. This happened to me while I was on a bike. I'm so sorry. This happened to me on a train in London. I'm so sorry. This happened to me when I was a kid and I was getting ready to go to school. I'm so sorry. And all of these messages were, they were so lovely and that they were penned to me in solidarity, but they definitely didn't make me feel better. And so that was actually the impetus to writing about the story was was all of the responses I got from women. And I think that also got me to thinking about why I wish I had had called the cops. Although what I, what I will say is that I'm, I'm not necessarily beating myself up about that aspect of it. Right. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that because I, I know that there are women that or victims that could. And so I'll, I'll share a story just since... You know, you said there's so many other women in solidarity. This has happened in in China. So it was me, my husband, and a coworker of ours who decided to go get massages. And so we we were like regular visitors or patrons or visitors, whatever, to this place. And it it was a new person that came into our room. There was like obviously three masseuses. Is that what you call them? Yeah. Anyway, so my husband and my and my coworker were like very relaxed. I was trying to relax, and it was long story short, he started touching me very inappropriately. And, but it was like, it was like, you know, like seconds of like grabbing here and there. And so I, it was almost more like, what's going on? I, maybe I'm just thinking this. And he had the audacity after it was all over to ask for a tip. And at that point, I couldn't even say anything. Um, My husband knew something was wrong because he saw the look on my face and he kind of just, he, you know, shooed the people away. And so he asked me what happened. I'm like, I think, I'm like, I think he touched me inappropriately. So I remember at that moment, I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want my coworker to feel uncomfortable. Like that was my first thought. And it and my coworker's great. Like we're we're still really good friends. It wouldn't have been something that she would have felt annoyed about. But that was like my first reaction. Like, I don't want to bother anybody. And I'm wondering if many women feel the same way. Like, this is such a heavy thing that happened or uncomfortable thing that happened. I like I already feel bad that I don't want to burden other people. Of course. I mean, how many women have a story like that where they haven't shared it with their loved ones in their life just because they don't want to bother others? And also, there's an element of you have to bother yourself with the story (laughs) if you're going to be talking about it. And so there are some women that probably aren't ready to do that either. It's it's a little bit of both. And so it's like this... (sighs) This is one of the reasons I actually wanted to write the story as well, is it's really sad to me to think about, first of all, all of the secrets that women are keeping and and feeling alone about, right? Like how much aloneness is happening out there because women feel like they're alone when really they're not. They're so far from alone. It's wild. But then also when we keep it in like that, and even when we don't keep it in, how much does it affect our ability to go about our day-to-day lives? And and so ultimately, this article was about, and this story was about the opportunity cost of sexual harassment and sexual terror and sexual assault and sexual abuse. And what does that look like for women? Like, could you ever, could you even put a number on such a thing? Which I don't think that you can. 
And that's so true. And and as you're talking about that, I'm even thinking about like just sexual harassment in the workplace. Like I'm one of, I'm sure millions of women that have experienced that. And so if it's someone really high up and you don't feel like you can say anything because HR is protecting them or whatever, I mean, there's that too, where you feel like you are going into a battlefield every day at work. Like it's going to cost you your mental health. If you leave and there's very little to no job prospects, let's say you're risking your livelihood at that point. Oh, you're totally risking your livelihood. And it's even more insidious than that in that like, it also just affects your day-to-day ability to do your job. I, I had I worked at an investment management firm and I had multiple instances of sexual harassment, one that just stands out, not because it was the worst one, but just because it was, I felt so viscerally how it affected my ability to do my day-to-day work was that, so we all sat on this open floor and the guy that sat directly diagonal for me, it's the diagonal seating is like a very intimate situation because you can see this person at all times, despite the fact that you've got a couple computer screens. And so one night I get a completely unprompted out of the blue sexual text message from him. And I was, I responded, I was like, Hey, so and so, what the fuck is this? Like, why, why, what are you doing? And he ended up trying to spin it on me, being like, Oh, that wasn't meant for you. It was meant for a girl named Amelia, not Amanda. Like, so sorry that you're next to her in the phone book. And then it turned a corner. We all know this one where he started being like, You wish you were hot enough for me to send you something like this. You wish, like, you're not. And so then it becomes like a double harassment, (laughs) a double whammy. And so I remember after that, after that day, like, I'm sitting directly across from this guy. I can see him at all times. He ended up calling in sick for at least a few days, maybe an, an entire week. I can't remember. But for at least two or three weeks, I was fuming. I was so angry at work because I had to see this guy at all times that I really, I was really incapacitated from being able to do my job and to do it well. Right. It's even like these little things. Yeah. And I mean, this is unfortunately a uh, retort question is like, what can you do? Like, what can you do to protect yourself? What can you do to, not think about it or move through it, you know? Yeah. And I think that at least at least now in the last couple of years, I think that we are starting to create a culture where reporting is more normalized, but it's I mean, it's still not there yet. We still are we still live in a culture where there's so much victim blaming. Right. And I I think that whether you think you're going to be blamed as a victim or not, it's internalized in us as women. And so we're still not seeing reporting at the numbers that it should be. But hopefully we push towards that and speaking about these stories and not just speaking about them with women, but also speaking about them with men. Like I really insisted that that men read this story because I want men to know how ubiquitous this is and then also make them aware that we're going to be reporting about this. So you better get used to it because it's happening. Yeah. And do you feel certain industries, like maybe the finance industry in general, like there's more of this happening than other ones? Gosh, I I, I have no real comparison. But what I do know is that any workplace where there are men and there are women, it's happening. I don't know that it's it's definitely not something that is unique to finance. Finance just happens to have often a lot of men in one place. But I mean, you hear about it everywhere. You're, if you're a woman in the workplace, you're not safe from it if there are men there. That's just an unfortunate reality because I've had women who are friends who work in very women-dominated industries and still have problems. I do think that I specifically worked at a investment management firm that perpetuated a toxic culture. I also don't think that it has to be that way. I have a friend that works at a bank and it's not that way at that place, even though 
there are a lot of men that work there. And where I was, it certainly started at the top and this kind of this just toxic masculine culture was perpetuated into, into really all of the departments, but especially mine, where we were client facing people. So you had a lot of the guys who were good talkers, right? And so they're good talkers, they're social, they're confident. We talked with high net worth people all day, every day. That was our job. I was made like there's probably 200 people in my department and maybe three or four women, and I was one of them. And so you just kind of end up being a target in a situation like that. Yeah. And speaking of confidence, so obviously something like this, whether it's whatever happened to you or sexual harassment or something similar, like it can really affect a person's confidence. Like, so do you feel like that is going to, is also an opportunity cost? Because I know like when I would negotiate for something, I felt like, okay, I have to act confident or I have to be confident for however long I'm, you know, in a conversation with my boss. Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, all of these feelings that, that you deal with after an event like that, like the shame, the trauma, all of it, it all comes back to affecting your confidence, whether you're even, whether you even realize that you're using the word confidence or not, right? Like you may not identify it as confidence, but if you are moving more meekly throughout the world because of it, that's an impact on your confidence. I mean, even, even your ability to feel safe in this world is going to impact your confidence. Yeah, it's, it's very true. I think I remember reading on Instagram quite a few women who were talking about like travel costs us more because I'm scared that something's going to happen or I don't feel safe staying in mixed dorm rooms because I don't want men to bother me, et cetera, et cetera. So it, yeah, I mean, it can have an effect even just the way you spend money really. Oh, yeah. And that was another impetus for, for writing this piece is I just wanted to open up the conversation because Sarah, you and I exist very much in a world where it's all about stripping down costs, like live as leanly as you can so that you can excel financially, which for the, I'm, the, I'm the dumpster doggy for the most part. I do that. I love to be frugal. I love to save money. I love to invest money. But sometimes this, in, this, this advice that we see given out and in particular by men and specifically by white men who who would never have this problem. Like I get a little bit tired of it. There are so many women, I would say, I would estimate millions of women in the United States alone who have trauma from being assaulted on public transportation and don't want to ride public transportation, who can't walk places, who can't bike places, who can't walk at night. And then that parlayed into the conversation about travel and how travel is just more inherently expensive if, if you are a woman, and especially if you are a woman that is dealing with the repercussions of assault. Right. And then... So yeah, it, it, it affects our money like crazy. Yeah. And I'm even thinking... You know, if you end up going to therapy over something like this, or I know when that incident happened to me, again, it's fairly minor compared to like what has happened to other people, but that shook me up for weeks. I remember like emotionally eating my way through that because I still didn't believe that that was wrong, if that makes sense. And so, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. And like, how many of us do that exact same thing, Sarah? Like, that, what happened to you is terrible. And I'm so sorry. And thank you for sharing. But how many of us women are also doing this same thing where we say it's not as bad as what happened to the next woman? So it's not, I shouldn't be talking about it or I shouldn't be complaining about it. Right. That is that is also a reason that women aren't talking. And that's that's wild. We should all be talking about our stories, no matter how big we conceive them to be. No, and it's true. So this is, I know, like really hard question to answer because I don't feel like I have the answers, but like what can we what can we do like for ourselves? And yeah, like what can what can we do for ourselves? Like once this happens, like 
how can we try to process our feelings immediately? And, and what other things can we do really to, to help ourselves? Oh, it's such a good question. It's such a hard question because I think that everybody's going to need to process differently. I think the first step is probably just allowing yourself the option of processing, right? Not feeling like you have to shove it to like the very depths of your soul and instead just letting it be there and doing what you think feels best for you, whether that's writing about it or talking to a therapist about it or talking to a friend about it and just welcoming whatever it is that that seems like it would make you feel a little bit better and just being graceful with yourself. I think that that's the first step to processing is also just remembering that there is no one method of processing that's going to work for everybody. And so be graceful with yourself as you try to figure that out. Now, on a wider scale, on a cultural and social scale, I do think that it is good if we talk about these things as they happen and in particular include men in the conversations. I think that women are so good about being support systems for one another when these things happen. But we really need men included in the conversation because as we know, ain't shit get done around here if men aren't involved. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. That actually reminds me of a story. (laughs) It's also in China. So many stories about that. I may cover that in a future episode. But anyway, so in one of the schools that my husband and I both worked at, and this is unfortunately very common in the expat community, is that there are a lot of men who purposely go and live in Asia or, you know, quote unquote, third world countries to get women. And they think, oh, these women are so desperate for a rich guy to take them that they would do anything. And so they would prey on these women. And so my husband would get so angry, like he would on his break, on his work break, would like go around to certain coworkers and would tell them the men that were basically looking to sleep with them. And he's like, just make sure you don't drink around them. Or if you need like someone around you, like call me, like I can pretend to like call you and you can have an excuse to leave, like whatever. Like he would, he would take that upon himself to go around. And I was like, it's kind of sad that someone has to do that. But at the same time, like I think many of these women were very grateful to my husband that, that he did that in the first place. Oh my gosh. He's such a keeper. (laughs) (laughs) There's a reason we've been together for 10 years now. So (laughs) Well, what I was going to say too is that, I mean, that opens up a whole nother interesting conversation. My story specifically was about, you know, the ideas and the time and the productivity that is lost to the fog of sexual trauma. But I'm a white woman. You, you can't see me on the podcast, but I have to imagine, and I, I don't want to speak for anybody, but I have to imagine that there's a very similar effect when you're living in, in the fog of of racism or racial trauma, or it's, I can only imagine, right? Like if we're talking about the opportunity cost of being somebody that has been assaulted or harassed, then of course, this is not a story that is only limited to women, right? Racism exists, ableism exists, transphobia. I mean, the list goes on. And so it's just so sad to me to think about all of, you know, the jobs not offered because of these things, the days called in sick because of these things, the projects not pursued, the ideas never born that are instead lost to the fog of these types of trauma. Yeah. And I do want to add that whether or not somebody you tell or whether or not your boss, whoever it is that you're speaking with, whether or not they are supportive, let's let's just make the assumption that this person you really trust and they're always supportive and will believe you. 
in my experience anyways, like in the back of my mind, I always think like, are they going to believe me? And I don't know if that's, if that's really particular to race or gender, but in the back of my mind anyways, like I think living in China and, and being discriminated against so much, like this is just something that I think about immediately. And I know it affects the way in which I negotiate contracts and things like that. Oh, I'm, I'm certain. And it probably does have to do with a little bit of both. I definitely feel it as a woman, but then I can also feel my white privilege in action as well. Yeah. So I feel like, okay, so I know you, you teach women about investing and things like that. Do you feel like you are motivated to do this even more as a result of what happened or as a result of what women have shared with you in terms of their, their sexual terror or trauma? Yes. That's such a good question. And, and the answer is, is yes. In actuality, after I got up and, and gave that talk and was able to get focused enough, that's the beauty of doing one of these presentations is for even just that hour, everything else in the world kind of does melt away. It was the best I had felt, obviously, in hours on that day. And it reinvigorated me. I was like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm being able to get up here and really feel like I'm making a difference in helping women is just in general making me feel better. So in a sense, it's a selfish move. It makes me feel better to be able to help. But then also on a social level, hell yes, empowering women to save their own money, invest their own money, not rely on any person, any partner, any man, any wife, and nobody is more important than ever to me. And so, so yeah, the answer to that question is absolutely in light of my story and all of the stories that I've heard. It's more important to me that women are completely independent, autonomous beings. <laughs> right. Amen to that. <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah, Amanda, I really appreciate you coming on. So one last question. How are you living beyond the dollar? So for me, living beyond the dollar is thinking about money in, as a tool and in terms of achieving future freedom, right? Instead of like getting into like the nitty gritty with the budgets, kind of more so just viewing myself in the future. I like to view my future. I call, I call her my bad granny, right? My granny who's going to be traveling around, probably dating much younger men, maybe in France. I don't know. I'll be eating a croissant, I'm sure. But kind of viewing it as this, this tool in order to achieve my ultimate freedom, freedom to pursue the projects I want to pursue, freedom to spend time with my families, freedom to spoil my family, and just the, the freedom to move about the world in, in a way that is not determined by how much money I have in the bank. Awesome. So Amanda, where can everyone find you? So I am online. I, my blog is the Dumpster Dog blog. And so my handles on Instagram are dumpster.doggy. Come find me there. That's where I do most of my free investment education. And so if you want to come see me talking about mutual funds and 401ks, that's, that's a great place to find me. I also do run a business. It's called Invested Development. I do online virtual courses live taught by me. And so... Awesome. Amanda, again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end. As promised, we're going to debrief the conversation I had with Amanda. First things first is the idea of internalized victim blaming. I think that's a huge one is that whenever something traumatic happens, we we sort of feel like we need to blame ourselves like, oh, should we have reported it? Should we have not? What about, you know, will this person be mad? Like if I report it, will someone be mad? 
maybe wasn't as big of a deal as it was. And, and I, you know, said that in the conversation. And all of those things I wanted you to try to not do. Not, not easy, right? But allow yourself to feel whatever it is you feel. Okay. Like emotions are emotions. And if you're angry, sad, whatever, just, just feel them. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with feeling bad and wanting to report something or wanting to maybe confront that person. Okay. However, however we want to do it, because the more we talk about sexual trauma and sexual assault or harassment in all forms, the more other people are willing to speak up about it. So true story, it really wasn't until Amanda's story that when I saw this on Instagram that I was more willing to be open with what happened to me. And hopefully this episode will encourage you to do the same or other people to do the same to process this because there is an opportunity cost when it comes to such traumatic events. Your confidence can be lost, like Man and I talked about. There's so much shame. Maybe you don't feel like you can put yourself out there anymore. It can affect the way you do your job. Maybe you have to take sick leave a lot or personal days, whatever it is that. Maybe you end up spending more money so that you feel safer. Maybe you end up getting a home security system. You no longer travel on the Greyhound bus. Maybe you stay in a really nicer part of town when you travel and that comes at the expense of a higher hotel cost or more expensive hotels or amenities. So all of these things will will impact your financial life. And I'm not saying one is better than the other in terms of spending more or less money, right? Or what's right and what's wrong for you. Like if you feel like you have to have a security system to feel safe, like go ahead, right? Find some way to work that into your spending plan, really. I mean, I don't have any hard and fast answers. <laughs> and if I do, you should seriously be questioning me <laughs> in this episode. But what I do want to leave you with is allow yourself to process in whatever way it is that you need to process. So I think we chatted about journaling. For me, I get very introspective. I go for long hikes and I I talk out loud to myself when no one's around. Maybe some people really want to, I don't know, buy a bunch of houseplants and tend to them. And then that way they can relax, exercise. Going to therapy is, is also another great resource. But Find some way to do that. Find some way to process it and understand that if it impedes your impact to make money because you you cannot stay in a certain company or if you feel like you have to spend more money to feel safe, then so be it. Don't feel angry at that because it unfortunately might re-traumatize yourself. Again, I'm not a health professional, but this is something that can happen. I'm going to leave some resources in the show notes. So beyond the dollar.co, please head over there. If you want to email me directly about what happened to you or anything else that you are interested in, in terms of like getting resources, please email me hello at beyond the dollar.co. I will reply to and read every single one of those emails. So thank you again for listening and see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening in on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. Tag them on Instagram or one of my posts at Beyond the Dollar. Send them a link. 
whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing here. Now, if you feel that putting monies towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, download our values-based spending guide. You'll gain clarity around what matters to you most in life, be able to name your most important values, and how to start putting money towards those things. To download the values-based spending guide, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. And thanks to Donovan Durant for providing this awesome music. Music.